We've been going through Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, and we're looking at these six foundations. Repentance, we've talked a little bit about that. We talked a little bit about faith, baptisms. Uh, we're going to get to laying on of hands, resurrection, eternal judgment. Uh, right now we're in baptisms. We've got tonight and then next week we're going to talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit uh, that John and Jesus both speak about. Now, notice the order. We talked about this last week. Notice the order. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God, and then baptisms. That's, that's really the ap apostolic way. That's the pattern of the book of Acts. Lead people into repentance and faith in Christ and then have them baptized both in water and in the Holy Spirit. That would seem to be the pattern in the book of Acts. Now, our definition, this will be your notes there. If you got your notes there, you fill in the blanks, you know how to do. All right. The word baptize or the, the baptism is the idea of immerse, to immerse or submerge. Uh, I know there are some traditions that, that sprinkle in baptism and all that kind of thing. And, and, uh, but the idea of the word itself is to immerse. That's why we immerse in water. And the purpose of baptism, we talked a little bit about this last week and looked at some of the Old Testament foundation. The idea is washing or cleansing or the idea of purification. Remember we talked about some of the purification laws and all that kind of thing. And God wanted his people to have a, an, an awareness of sin, but also an awareness of forgiveness and that God has a way of making us clean. That's the idea of baptism. Now let's get into some new ground right here. We, we, uh, it was in some of your notes last week, but we didn't get to it. So we redid the notes and all that good stuff. But let's talk about the baptism of John. In fact, he is known as John the Baptist, is what some of them call. He's the first Baptist in, in history, really. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that, that's supposed to be funny, right? Actually, the better rendering of that would be called John the Baptizer. And he's just, he's, I mean, his name is John, but he's known for this idea of baptism. He was a son of Zechariah. Okay, this is important about John's life and ministry. He was a son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, we know Zechariah was a priest, right? Okay, so what does that mean John would be? He would be in the, the, the lineage of being a priest. So that's really what he does is when he goes out into his ministry, he basically takes the role of a priest right there on the banks of the Jordan River because he is a priest called by God. And his presence there on the Jordan River is saying to all the people that are in Jerusalem, who are is where the priests live in Jerusalem, uh, certain times of the year anyway, to do their, do their function and all the rites and rituals and all the things that, that are, are according to the law of Moses. He was basically saying they have corrupted the whole system. Now God is doing, having to do a brand new thing. So he really was an affront to the whole system. In fact, you hear some of his messages, only have a few words that he's spoken, but they were very, very straight and very, very pointed. We'll read some of them just a little bit. He, uh, Elizabeth is the cousin of Mary. Remember when Mary finds out that she's going to have Jesus, uh, the first person she goes to is who? It's John the Baptist's mom. So there's, there's a real family tie there, and that's going to play a big part in Jesus' life and ministry as, as the story unfolds. Now, John has a supernatural birth. His parents are on up in age, maybe not quite as old as Abraham and Sarah, but they're on up in age. And uh, he has a supernatural birth and all the storyline that surrounds his birth. Remember, Zechariah goes into the temple to do his, his duty and he is struck dumb. He, he, he can't speak because of his unbelief. All right, so John is the second cousin of Jesus. He's six months older than Jesus, according to the timetable of the, of the story. John lives this rugged life. Okay, the description of his clothing is that he wears camel's hair and a leather belt. Now, we've been studying somebody on Sunday mornings that dresses just like that. Who is that guy? 
Elijah. So basically what John does is he shows up on the, Jordan, the banks of the Jordan River in his Elijah suit. Really. I mean, you know, I, I, not to make it comical, but if you saw somebody dressed up in, in, a, in a particular costume, you'd say, well, that's, that's Spider-Man or that's Superman. It really is kind of like that in the story, that John is the one who is coming as the forerunner of Messiah. We find that story in Malachi 4, that before Messiah comes, Elijah will return. Elijah will come. And he is without a doubt saying, I am that one. Okay, he's in his Elijah suit. Everybody would have known it. Okay, and he draws quite a crowd. In fact, everybody's coming. We'll read that in just a moment. But it says that he eats locusts and wild honey. They don't knock it till you tried it, right? <laughs> well, people in that, that part of the world still eat that kind of thing. What's that? Sounds good. <laughs> Actually, that, that kind of food is really not that bad. It's, locusts have a lot of protein, and, and uh, some of them are about that big. You just need two or three of them, you know, like chicken tenders. It had to have a lot of honey, maybe some crusted honey kind of cooked on it. Yeah, that, yeah that'd be good. If you just get past the crunch. Just. But he's, he's this rugged individual, okay? Just see him like that. And, and almost every movie that they've depicted this in, uh, you, you always see John the Baptist. He's got the bushy hair and he's got all the, you know, he's a big rough guy. Maybe that's a little, little much, but... Um, He's known as John the Baptizer, the forerunner of Messiah. If you get a chance, maybe later on, just to give honor and respect to this man, he's uh, one of the greatest men of all human history, Jesus says. Malachi 4 will tell you a little bit about his spirit and his calling. Jesus calls John the greatest ever born up to that time. That's, that's quite an endorsement, isn't it? Now, he even gives a bigger endorsement to us, though, that John is the greatest born of woman up to this time, but he's not even as great as the least in the kingdom of God. Think about that. But he's a transition man. That's what he is. And he is going to be the one who is going to point out Jesus as Messiah. All right. Now, let's, let's just read just a few verses here. We don't have to, time to spend a whole lot of time on John's baptism, but I just want you not to be ignorant of the scriptures. And all this is really building blocks of what it, it means to call Jesus Messiah. All this stuff just plays right into Jesus, the Jesus story. Verse 5 of Matthew 3. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, went out to John. Okay? The Jordan. What's the Jordan? Anybody know what the Jordan is? It's the Jordan River that basically bisects the country. Remember, if, if you're looking at the, the bodies of water that really define Israel, you've got the Sea of Galilee, you've got the Jordan River, and you've got the Dead Sea. They're all connected. Right? The, the Jordan River... The, the Sea of Galilee is basically a wide spot in the Jordan River, and it empties into the Dead Sea, right? Okay, just, as, just so you know. What other Bible story do we have that's a huge Jordan River story? Crossing of the Jordan, Crossing of the Jordan in Joshua's day, right? Where they come into the promised land, they cross over Jordan. And there's a lot of spirituals and a lot of songs and hymns written about crossing over Jordan, right? You think it's a mistake that John's there? You connect these dots, he is saying that this is, a, this is a new time and it's time for us as a people to cross over Jordan again. Now this, this, is, this is the picture that's being painted. And he said they went out in verse 6, and were baptized by John, by him, in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, 
He said to them, we're so glad to have y'all. How y'all been all day? We've been waiting on y'all. Here's a visitor packet. And the peppermints are over on the left. Is that what he said? Not quite. He said, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. I'm not touching you and you're not getting into this water until you prove to me that you have repented of your sins. That's the church leaders. They were coming for the conference. And he said, ain't none of y'all participating here now. Not until y'all prove to me y'all done changed your ways. That's how to win friends and influence people, right? And he said, and do not think to say for yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. We'll try that on Jesus later too. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You think he's talking to them? Mm-hmm. And I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Verse number 12. His winnowing fan will be in his hand, talking about Messiah, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Hmm. That's a pretty powerful message, isn't it? Get it right, get it straight. Now, just, just some ideas right here. Four things in John's baptism, just to know, because this is the, the precursor to being able to, to receive Jesus, to get ready for Jesus. Here's the idea of John's baptism. Repentance. We've been talking about that, right? Repentance. Make a decision to make a change. And that's what John is there. He's preaching repentance. And now he had some fiery sermons. And I bet you he preached some of the same stuff Elijah did. I can just about tell you. Elijah and Elijah would have been his men. I can promise you. He was that kind of dude. Repentance, the decision to change was, was a major part of it. Repent, John's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand right now. Repent. It's time to change the way you think and get your mind ready and situated. You can't go into this new thing thinking the old way. The other part was confession of sin. Whether or not they confessed directly to John is very possible, very probable. Uh, but they were certainly making their, their sins known to God, confessing there's a big part of John's ministry. In fact, confession of sin is a big part of becoming a whole person, isn't it? It's a big part. And then the, we just read that idea, bring fruit of repentance, bring proof that you have repented. We're not just trying to stack the rolls here. We're not just trying to count the numbers. We're not just trying to see how many we can get in here. I want to make sure that you know exactly what you're doing and the change is for real. Right? We're going through some of that today. You know, and then he had immersion in water and the Jordan River. I can just see John. Now, I don't know what his symbolism was, but I kind of see the idea. He would let them come in on this side of the Jordan, baptize them, and let them cross right over to the other side. I mean, that's, that's the way I see it. I don't know if that's how it happened, but it's the symbolism. They're leaving this old way, going into the promised land because Messiah is coming. That's his message. Let's get ready for Messiah. Okay, now I want to skip over. I, I don't have time to talk about this, but go right later and read Acts 19, 1 through 7. I've got it there in your notes. Um, the baptism, of they, Paul encounters some men that know nothing but the baptism of John. 
They were maybe disciples of John. Or maybe they went to some of his meetings and things. And he had a real big impact in their life. And they didn't know. The, the question comes, says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, we don't know any about, anything about that. We've been baptized in John's baptism. Okay. I'm just seeing how that plays into the New Testament story. All right. So let's, let's keep going. Yeah, that fill in the blank there is John's baptism on the next, next slide there. All right. Let's go to the baptism of Jesus. So it's the baptism of John, which leads to the baptism of Jesus. And John is going to be the one that baptizes Jesus. This is why he is known as the greatest man ever born of woman, because he points out the greatest man that's ever come to the earth, which is the son of God. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. This is the baptism of Jesus. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? Now, this is a supernatural moment between Jesus and John. This is absolutely, without a doubt, not the first time they've been together. We don't have any text on it, but those families were tight, and we know the connection between Mary and Elizabeth. They would have been together. They went to the family reunion together. When they went to the feast, they were hanging out together. When, they, when Jesus got lost in the crowd, they were part of that caravan. You know what I'm talking about? All those kind of things. They're, they're connected. All these families are super-duper connected now. This was not the first time he has seen Jesus physically, but this is the first time it seems that he sees Jesus as the Messiah. Up to now, Jesus is the son of Mary and Joseph. In fact, that's what they say. He's just a carpenter's son, you know. Now, he's always been the son of God from the time of his birth. He's always been Messiah. But now the Holy Spirit sees fit that now is, is revelation time. Now it's time for everybody. And John sees him. He sees Jesus like he's never seen him before. I don't, I don't know if it was a, a, a heavenly glow about him. I don't know if it's just a discernment in the spirit. I don't know how, it, how he discerned it. But all of a sudden, boom, Jesus is there and he sees Messiah. He doesn't see his second cousin. He's always been second cousin. And can you see him? I mean, can't you see John and Jesus playing army men and Jesus just wiping all John's stuff out. Come on, Jesus. They can't be doing all that. You know, I see him playing all that kind of stuff, playing Philistines and Israelites, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm making conjecture, but these, these are real stories and real people now. I, I read in between the lines of the stories a lot because it just helps me to enter into it, you know. And that's not church doctrine. That's not stuff we just put. That's just stuff I, the way I like to see things. These are real live people who... They family, they sit at tables, they eat, they fuss, they fight, they struggle, they celebrate, you know, all that kind of stuff, all right? John sees Jesus for the first time as Messiah. Verse 15, but Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Now, what was the reason Jesus said that we have to go See, John's baptism is the baptism of repentance and the confession of sins. Jesus has no sins to confess. But Jesus is having to change his course. You see what I'm talking about? He's going from just the carpenter's son, Mary and Joseph's boy, from Nazareth, to now he, Jesus is having to repent in one way. Not, not of sins, but he's having to change his, his mind about this is my time now. I'm changing my course. This is who I'm going to be. This is who I, excuse me, this is who I am. And it's time for me to step into my calling and who I really am, all right? 
And Jesus says the purpose of this baptism is to fulfill all righteousness. Okay, that's important. And then John allowed Jesus to be baptized. Verse 16. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. That's the idea of immersion. You see him coming up out of the water? Probably knelt down himself, went into the river. John there witnessing it. Boom. Jesus shoots up out of the water. Okay. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting or resting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is a real powerful moment in Jesus' life. It's a real powerful moment in John's life. It's a real powerful moment for everybody who, who has discernment there. Not everybody understood what was going on, but those who were of a spiritual mind begin to discern. And we know they begin to discern because about half of Jesus' disciples come out of that crowd. They were disciples of John. And they come and they follow Jesus. Okay, And it's interesting to me right there. Some people heard the voice of God and other people heard thunder. Is what one rendering says in another gospel. <laughs> it's kind of like preaching. Some people heard a message and some people say that went long. You know. <laughs> some people heard a message and some people just heard a bunch of thunder. You know. Now look at this. The baptism of Jesus. Because this is going to be important to, to our baptism, the believer's baptism in, in a moment. The heavens were opened. That, that's, that's signifying that not that they were necessarily closed, but this is a whole new thing that's opened up to Jesus now. The heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God. Jesus was able to see things now. Okay? And, and I know it's hard for us to understand that, but Jesus was the Son of God from the time he was born. But he, he was under tutelage, under governors and tutors, the Scripture says, until his appointed time, and then he steps into his calling, into his ministry. So now Jesus is seeing things new now. It's hard for us to grasp that. He's 100% God, but yet he's 100% man. It's hard for us to grasp, but that's the way the t- Scripture teaches him now. And the Spirit of God rested upon Jesus. You know, the Holy Spirit's been looking for somebody all these years to rest upon and found everybody unworthy. And now all of a sudden, you know, the Spirit could come upon this one. He came upon this one. And he came upon David. And he came upon these to do specific tasks. And he came upon the prophets for momentary time. But here the language is that the Spirit of God comes and it rests upon Jesus. Because the only person that the Spirit can rest upon is the body of Christ. That's why we become eligible when, we, when we're born again. It's because we become part of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit can only rest upon the body of Christ upon Jesus. And then the Father affirmed Jesus. That was real important. Because Jesus was going to face a lot of opposition. He had to know exactly who he was and he had to hear it from his heavenly Father. He had to hear it. And you know what? The very next story, we don't have time to go into it, the very next story from the baptism as Jesus launches into his ministry is the temptation that happens in the wilderness. And the very first thing that the enemy attacks is who do you think you are, basically? You know? Well, I know who I am. My father just told me. Check that one off. I'm not falling for that deal. So, so these things were happening, and this launches Jesus' ministry. Okay? Now let's, let's shift gears. Remember the, the idea is baptisms. Okay? He said the doctrine, the teaching of baptisms. 
Here's, here's another idea of baptisms, to be baptized into Christ. So we've seen John's baptism, we see Jesus' baptism, and now the scripture talks about this idea of being baptized into Christ is the language. Galatians 3.27, it says this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Okay? Now this is a picture of salvation. Now what's the word baptism mean again? What does it mean? To immerse or submerge. So if you're baptized into Christ, you're basically saying that I am being submerged or immersed into him. That's one of the pictures of salvation. Paul makes very clear detail in his writings, in his letters to the churches. He, he uses this phrase in two different ways. He says, to be a believer is to be in Christ. If any man be in Christ, you got that written on the children's church board in there. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, right? The, the idea of in Christ. So literally, there's, there's a picture. Do you see the picture? It's like, it's like Christ is there and I literally step into him. And what happens is that my sins get forgiven and his righteousness becomes my righteousness when I step into Christ. That's the idea of being submerged or immersed into who he is. And literally, his life becomes my life. And my life becomes his life. And we merge or submerge our lives together. And nevertheless, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me, he says. You see this idea of being baptized into Christ? We would call it, maybe in some of our verbiage, this is the idea of what it means to be saved. To be saved means that you step into the Savior. If we stay with our language right here, okay? The baptized into Christ. So the picture is that you can be in Christ is, a, is one picture of salvation. And the other picture is it, it, it reverses. Christ in you. Now this is one we lean on a lot. We say, have you asked Jesus into your heart or into your life? But the idea is, is it's Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. It's the hope of the glory of God that's going to come to the earth. Is that not just that you're in Christ, but now that Christ is in you, animating your life, helping you to work out those good works we talked about before. And Christ in you is the hope that the glory of God will be restored on the earth. And in people's lives. You see what I'm talking about? That's the idea of being baptized into Christ. There's a lot we could say right there. But I want you to know that that language is in there to talk about how what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a believer is that we are baptized into Christ. All right. Now, these are not side notes. These, these are just ideas and pictures of who we are as Christians, who we are as followers of Jesus. Here's another idea of being baptized. that We're baptized into Christ. And this this says specifically that we're baptized into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized. Talking about believers. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So there's this another idea about baptized. Baptized into the body of Christ. We could say baptized into the family of God. We would say the body of Christ is the church. It's the church of Jesus. We're baptized that we, we, we immerse ourselves into the life of the body of Christ. 
Hey, that's why we gather. That's why we study. That's why we fellowship. That's why we hang out is because our life is submerged into Christ and then Christ takes our life and submerges it into his body, which is his family. Now, what would you think of a ball player who didn't have a team? You wouldn't, I mean, maybe he could be a ball player, but he's not going to be able to do all the things he needs to do, Right? So what would you think about a believer who wasn't a part of the body? Like a real part of the body, like a real vital functioning part of the body. What would you think? Of, I'm not saying they're not a believer. I'm just saying you're not going to be able to do what you need to do. Because part of this idea of this new life that we're in is that my life is submerged into Christ and immersed in Christ. But my life is also immersed into the body of Christ. That we're a vital part of his family and his function on the earth. Right. OK. Just want you to hear that. All right. Now, let's get into the, the, the idea of baptism that we know, the idea of water baptism. I call it believer's baptism a lot because it's, it's for those who have made a decision to follow Christ. That's what, that's what water baptism is for, right? It's not just a ceremony that we go through or, uh, or, or just a, a rite or ritual. It is, it is a celebration of a decision that somebody makes to come out of their old life and to follow Jesus. And it's for those who have been baptized into Christ you must first be baptized into Christ before you're baptized into the water. Otherwise, you're just a wet sinner. Right? Okay. All right. Now, let's, let's get some ideas about believer's baptism. It's an outward sign of an inward change. You ever heard that kind of thing? It's an outward sign of this inward, this, this thing that's happened on the inside of me. When I go through baptism, it's a, it's a testimony to everybody that I've gone through some change. Not the whole change. I still got a lot of growing to do. But I have I've become a new person. And staying with our idea of baptism again, baptism is about washing and cleaning. Water is one of the cleaning agents, right? We still use it today just for practical purposes. But in Scripture, it's also seen as a cleansing agent. So when the water, in water baptism, when the water is applied to my life, it is a testimony that the blood has been applied to me. We just sang that, are you washed in the blood? The blood is applied to my life. My sins are forgiven. This water is representative of my soul being cleaned from my past sins. See what I'm talking about? It becomes a powerful moment in somebody's life now. And it's for the sake, we, we covered this last week, it's for the sake of purity, initiation into this new covenant, and consecration and commitment. It's, it really is a commitment. It's a decision that leads to a commitment. And from that commitment, the empowerment of God's grace comes to a person. That's all important right there. That's a real important process and transmission. I wish I had more time to talk about those four or five things right there. Now, when it comes to believer's baptism, it is a witness to those, maybe in your life, in your family, in the body of Christ for sure, that you have gone through a change. You have made a decision to follow Christ. With that in mind, is there a such thing as a private commitment to Christ? Now, the commitment can be made in private, but is there such thing as a private commitment? Let me ask you this. Are there any secret agents in the kingdom? <laughs> that song keeps a secret agent, man. <laughs> Lord, help me. Boom. You got to get that out of there, right? Is there, is there any such thing as the, your commitment to Christ staying on a secret basis? Is there any such thing? I mean, the Bible doesn't witness of any of that, does it? 
Exactly. And, and exactly. There's some major private moments, and the, Jesus talks about how important those are. And that, those are huge. And your commitment very likely will be made in private somehow, whether it be in an altar or whether it be in your car, in your bedroom, or wherever it might be. Your commitment may be private, but your commitment cannot stay private. And that's what water baptism is about. Water baptism basically brings you out into the public and says, hey, I am now associated with Jesus. That's, what water, that's how important it is. Okay? All right. Now, remember the miraculous signs we talked about at Jesus' baptism. We're also hoping... And, and I've got all this in a brochure back here. If you ever want to pull it, that little blue brochure this, about water baptism, it's, this is all in there, a little bit broken down with some scripture references. The miraculous signs that were Jesus' baptism, we're also believing that these things will happen to us at the point of baptism and there beyond. Okay? It's like a new beginning. We, we pray the heavens will be opened. Where God was seemingly closed off to me, now it's all open. The kingdom is now open to me, right? That we see, we see things differently. Jesus said this to Nicodemus, when a man is born again, when a woman is born again, they see the kingdom of God. That you get a new pair of eyes that see differently. Jesus has said the language is that he saw the spirit of God. And you know what? Everywhere he went, he saw the spirit of God moving on people. He saw the spirit of God moving on that man y'all studied at the pool the other day, of the Sunday. He saw the spirit. How did he pick that man out? He, he saw heaven was open and his phone was on the hook. And he saw, well, that's a little old, and the phone's on the hook. Y'all don't do the phone on the hook no more, do you? Okay. He saw the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God rested. We're, we're praying that'll happen in our life, too. The Spirit of God now will find a place to rest in my life. It won't just be visitations. It'll be abiding, His presence abiding with me. And then the Father affirmed. We need that affirmation ourselves. So we're praying that those signs follow us as well. Now, real quickly, let's go over these last few things about water baptism, and we'll, we'll go. Number one, the purpose of water baptism is it's following the example of Jesus. Say it like this. This is the way the scripture lays it out as a picture. Following in the footsteps of Jesus. That's, that's the language that Peter uses, following the steps of Jesus or footsteps. That, that's one reason we do it. If for no other reason, that'd be enough. If Jesus did it, I want to do it. Why do you think Peter wanted to walk on water? He saw Jesus walking on water. He said, I want to do that. You're doing that. I want to do it. So if we see Jesus doing it, that, that ought to be the heart of a disciple. I want to do that. Water baptism is part of that. He did it, so we do it. And we also do it not to be saved. Water baptism doesn't save you. Being baptized into Christ is what saves you. His blood is what saves you. But we do it just like what Jesus did to fulfill all righteousness. It's an important step in your walk. It's important, right? And we do it because it's the right thing to do because that's what Jesus said. It's the right thing for you to do. It's the right thing for him to do. Certainly the right thing for his followers to do. All right? Second thing. We just covered some of this. It's a public confession of your decision to follow Christ. A public confession. Here's some important words of Jesus. can be very convicting. Jesus says this, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's pretty powerful. So Paul opens up Romans, which is his greatest writing. He opens up Romans right in the very first part of Romans. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, 
I, I believe Paul heard Jesus say this. I mean, not, not heard him with his physical ears, but he heard the apostles say that this is what Jesus taught. We can't deny him. So Paul writes it very first right off. I want you people to know you're under gun, you're under the gun, you're under a lot of pressure. You're in a society that absolutely hates you and doesn't understand anything you believe. But I want you to know I am not ashamed, and it's important for you not to be ashamed either. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's a public confession. In fact, in, in many, many cultures, not necessarily American culture, which I, I don't, it's, it's, it should be, you're not really considered a believer until you've been through water baptism in most cultures. It's that important for people. Third thing, it's an act of worship. It's an act of worship and obedience to follow the command of Christ. We could go into the Great Commission where Jesus said, go and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always. It's an act of worship. And, that, and that's an important part of worship, isn't it? You think about how, how important that is to God. Because see, worship is, is, is like a gift we give to Him, Right? So when you commit your life to him and publicly confess him and tell people you love him and you're going to try to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and you're going to try to love your neighbor just like Jesus taught us, you think about how that satisfies God's heart. It's an act of worship, isn't it? Fourth thing, it's a point of identification. This is my favorite. I usually read this scripture whenever I do baptism. It's a point of identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus point of identifying now i want you to see the symbolism of how we we do baptism and there's a reason we do it the way we do it and i'm so thankful and and you know we're, we're going to use this baptism but i i want to use that creek over there. i want to get something over there to where we can get to where we can use that creek and level some of that out we can use that because there's just something about getting baptized in a creek that's just like jesus stuff you know what i'm saying and we got one bordered right here let's let's just wear that thing out and uh, after church, we just say, hey, we're moving over there. <laughs> we'll do it, all right? We're going to get that worked out. Romans 6, 4. Listen to Paul's explanation of, of, of baptism and this idea of, of this picture that he paints right here. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Okay, you see the symbolism is when you're immersed in water baptism, you see the idea? It's a picture. You are buried into death. That, that, that water is supposed to become like a watery grave. And John's doing it at the Jordan River. It's, it's considered living water because it's flowing water. And it's, it's like water that came from God, right? It's, that's living water. And that, the idea is when you go into that water, your sins, I mean, this is just a picture now. Your sins that were attached to you are now, they're down river. They're, they're washed, literally. I mean, that's, that's the picture that's painted right here. And you're in that watery grave of death. And I promise you not to hold you under too long, right? I won't hold you under. I've told some folks that I just wanted to make sure they were saved, that where the very first thing when I pulled, I hold them under long enough so that when I pull them up, the very first thing they say is, Jesus! <laughs> and they may even see him. I don't know. It depends on how long we hold them. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. But I've had that conversation several times, right? Yeah, and depending on how saved they are, they might be, never mind. <laughs> might punch me in the baptism pool too, right? Buried in baptism into his death, into Jesus' death, that just as Christ was, here we go, we're coming out of the water, raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you raise up out of the water, it's, it's a picture of resurrection. And there's a reason for this resurrection, even so we also 
should walk in the newness of life. So it's not just being buried and dead and resurrected. Now I come out of the water, a brand new creation. That's the idea. That's the picture. I come out of the water and I walk a brand new path. I have a brand new life. Okay. If you're at the Jordan, the picture is I'm now entering into the promised land. That's the idea. Okay. And the last, and I got to wrap it up. It's following the pattern of the apostles in the book of Acts. You read the book of Acts, water baptism is all in it. It's all over the place. They went about baptizing people left and right, and God blessed the church in, in miraculous ways. Many, many conversions in the book of Acts. Over a 40-year period is what the book of Acts has written. It's following the pattern of the apostles. The pattern was repentance, faith in Jesus. You can find Peter's sermons. You can find... Paul's conversion, all this kind of thing. Repentance, faith in Jesus, baptized in water, and then baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about next week, all right?